Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and today I am delighted to welcome as my guest, my good friend and colleague, Khan Apostolopoulos. Khan, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me, Meredith. I'm so looking forward to our conversation today. I am too. And you know, Khan, before we get started with a formal introduction, I want to give a shout out to Terry Nichols, our our colleague and friend. I consider Terry a dear friend, and you and I met through him with a, a really wonderful group that he put together. So I'm always grateful to him for these wonderful people that are in his world that are now in mine. And I, um, and I have to echo your sentiments on that one. I, we owe him a debt of gratitude for that. Mm-hmm. Well, Khan is, I've been really looking forward to having Khan as my guest. He is the founder and CEO of Fresh Biz Solutions, which is a, ca- a human capital management consulting group that provides performance improvement and training solutions. And Khan helps organizations develop their people improve business results, and reap the benefits of a comprehensive talent management strategy. He's also the co-author of a very timely book, which I have a copy of. It's a beautiful book too, Khan, called Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis, a practical guide for emotionally dealing with pandemics and other disasters. So how timely is that? He's also a regular contributor to Thrive Global and Achievers Engagement blog. And another thing I really admire, Khan is very active in his community, and he gives back by developing young soccer players in local, state, and Olympic development programs. And today, we're going to talk about the seven keys from his book, and how they apply on both the soccer field and in the boardroom. So, Khan, tell us first, so we have context, a little bit about your journey to the work you're doing today and how you came to develop these seven keys. Wow. Um, After that introduction, I'm feeling a little little humble. I'm looking around to see who you're talking about. So that's (laughs) wonderful. Thank you very, very much, Meredith. Um, I have a probably two, almost three decades now journey um, in this space of change leadership, performance improvement, training and development, organizational development, all of those areas in that intersection between people and results and making sure that we get there. As I look back and I connect the dots on my career path and my history behind, everything that I've done in my career has put me in a situation where I'm in I'm supporting the business, I'm supporting the organization, but I'm doing that in a capacity where I have the opportunity to coach, to develop, to train, because good leaders don't create followers, good leaders create more leaders. And I find myself in that role throughout my career, looking at that next generation, looking at 
who else can we develop as leaders around us to continue the march forward in whatever direction it is that we're going. So it's not unusual for me to find myself moving in that direction. And over the course of time, I've developed my own business, my own boutique operation, as you mentioned, Fresh Biz Solutions. And in that capacity, I've been helping clients achieve those results through very purposeful change that they either instigate themselves, they're driving that change, or they're responding to changes in their environment. Either way, there's an element of change leadership there. So when last March, God, can you believe it? So more than a year ago, it feels even longer somehow, um, everything shut down. Like you, like many of our colleagues that we spoke of to, found ourselves shut down. All of a sudden, a lot of the engagements that we have, whether they be speaking engagements or training engagements or workshops or client engagements of various types, we found ourselves in a situation where everything went into a pause. Nobody knew what to do. At that time, uh, a very dear friend of mine, Dr. Ilya Gugouris, who's also the co-author of the book, approached me and he says, you know, we've been writing together for a while. We need to write a book about this. I think we have a very unique perspective on helping people. And I just jumped at the opportunity because at the time we were hearing a lot about statistics, a lot about the physical aspects, a lot about this. Nobody was really talking about the emotional element of this change. And as change leaders, you and I both know that that's a key part of how people are impacted by the change. Mm -hmm. So interestingly enough, within 45 days, talk about performance improvement, we were able from concept to publishing to get the book out. Uh, it's a book that's easy to consume. It's a book that's practical in every aspect of it, whether it's the easy way to, to read it and format it through bulleted lists. For those of us that love checklists and love information, it's a great way to be able to reference and resource that. But even at the end of each chapter, there's an element of reflection. There's an element of questioning. There's an element of action at the end of each chapter that we invite the reader to go in and take ownership of their um of how they want to deal with this change. And we provide insights throughout the book, like I said, in very practical and easy to consume way. And that's where we spent a lot of this past year working and kind of getting out there to help people. Speed to market was important for us because people didn't need advice two years from now. They needed it in the moment. Right. And that to us was the most important thing to get out there. Mm -hmm. Well, it's amazing that you were able to accomplish that in 45 days. And yet reading it, I could tell, you know, you've lived all these concepts for so long that it was a matter of, you know, putting them on, on paper and just organizing them in a sequence that made sense. And, yeah, exactly. I, and I like the practical aspects of it. Uh, and I'd love to spend some time having you talk a little bit about those seven keys, because I think they have practical application for everyone. And so as we talk about them, why don't you mention, you know, why it, that particular one is so important and in a practical sense. So my listeners have really specific takeaways. What's one thing that they might do today as we're in this other phase of the pandemic right. now, we're kind of on the other side of it with vaccinations being so abundant mm -hmm. and more people opening back up businesses and getting people together. Right. How do those apply? So let's, let's just cover those seven initially, and then we can go deeper on some other parts of them. 
Sure. Um, and let me kind of um, set the stage, if I may, a little bit and kind oh, of how sure. I might approach this. Um, even though the book was written originally for the individual, for people directly, um, since that time, what we've found is that as we talk to clients, as you do, many of them come back and say, okay, I get that as an individual, I can utilize this. How do I apply it as a business leader, as a business owner, as somebody who's responsible for others? How can I get the max benefit from this information that I can apply in very practical terms? Mm-hmm. So I'd like to um, kind of go through this journey with you through the seven keys, if I may, without spending too much time on each one, but I'd like to emphasize the piece for business leaders, because I think your audience specifically, I think we can benefit from that piece because they're probably Absolutely. asking themselves. Yeah, yeah, I like that approach. So let's start with the first one. Well, let's talk about that. So if we look at the seven keys, essentially as a way to open up this road to resilience, the journey starts right up front with self-care. Now, self-care for us as individuals might look like, okay, what am I, where am I at physically, emotionally, mentally, even spiritually, gauging where I'm at and trying to address that feeling that I have in the moment from there. Do I need to rest a little bit more because I'm under a lot of duress right now? Do I need to take a walk to get fresh air a little bit? Do I need to look at those opportunities of how I interact with others? Yes, Physically, we're limited during the time of the pandemic, but that doesn't mean that we can't reach out to people through other means, whether it's over the phone or over Zoom like we are right now, and connect with people so emotionally we have that connection. We don't feel so isolated. That's once that that's how we manifest a lot of times self-care, even in the simplest forms for us as individuals. But as a business, you look at that and say, okay, what do I do from a business perspective as a business leader? Well, self-care for a business might look like I'm coming back into the office now. Okay, where are my benefits at with my employees? If I'm offering benefits to my employees, am I in line? Because one of my biggest concerns right now as a business owner is the mental and physical well-being of my people, making sure that they're safe as I try to continue to be a productive business. So I look at that and I say, okay, are my benefits in line? Do I have the right benefits packages in place? Do I have enough mental health, emotional health support for my people as they might need it to be at their best? to overcome whatever trauma they've experienced during this time. That's a big part of that as we open our doors again up to business. Some businesses may have never stopped, but they still may have to address a lot of those concerns that we've been pushing people through. For others, they're coming back into the office 10 months after they left, and now all of a sudden, that's not the same place that they had before. So now we go to that second key, which is awareness. Before you go there, I want to just back up a minute. Because I'm thinking of someone I just spoke with last week, mm-hmm. the CEO whose vice president has been feeling very overwhelmed, working from home, having a couple of kids, you know, school age kids that she's had to, to deal with. What would be your advice to a leader who has someone on his or her team mm-hmm. that feels overwhelmed that when that leader encourages them to take care of themselves. The person says, I don't have time for that. I've got this and this and this. You just don't understand what my life is like. How can they respond in a way that really supports the person um, taking care of themselves? Well, that gives me the opportunity to introduce um, a new new to many concept. It's something that I've been working with for the last few years. It's called the leadership paradox. 
And in essence, it's, it's a requirement as we evolve in our leadership abilities, in our skills, in our emotional intelligence to be more effective as leaders, we are called upon to be able to take concepts that on the surface may seem even at odds with each other or on two ends of the spectrum, if you will. And we are asked to combine those ideas, those concepts to find a balance somewhere in between and apply that as leaders. Let me give you an example. If, if I'm working with somebody, if I have a dispersed uh, member of my team, somebody who's working from home, on one hand, I have to display empathy and understanding of their situation. In this case, with this VP, there might be times where she's a vice president, she's a business leader, but during that same time, she may be teacher, she's mom, she's caretaker, she's short order cook. She's a number of different things that she is required to be able to do. I have to be understanding as her supervisor and saying, you know what? I get it. If you need to slide your hours and adjust those a little bit, let's make that happen. And being understanding of the pressure that she's under. On the other hand, I have to take the concept of tough love and boundaries and bring that into the equation now and say, look, I don't want you burning yourself out because this is something that's going to be ongoing. It's not a one day or two day. I'm not asking you to push through this week. This has been over a year now that we've been working under these circumstances. So I need to be able to set healthy boundaries for your sake and for the operation and say, here are fundamentally what I expect of you to get done. How you do it, I want to be able to give you that flexibility, which is also one of our keys to be able to look at that. I'm taking empathy, taking tough love, and now I'm putting them together and synthesizing them in a way that I can embrace that paradox and apply it in my leadership style right now. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that that's the, the challenge. Uh, and so much of it is, and, and this kind of ties in now to your next key of awareness of, of people being aware of their own stories they're telling themselves around, yeah. I'm overwhelmed, I'm yeah. exhausted. Not to deny the reality of their situation, but how we think about things. Mm-hmm. Is, yep. is really a key to how we deal with them. So let's get into that awareness piece. Yeah, and that's, and that's part of why in the book and with our clients right now, we use essentially a, a, a health assessment that we put in there that allows people to gauge in those four pillars, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, how am I doing? Where am I at? And it gives opportunity for the reader and for our clients to be able to gauge that and pinpoint areas where they might benefit from a little bit more attention at the time. Maybe physically I'm feeling okay. Maybe I've got, you know, my stationary bike upstairs or I'm working out. I've turned converted one of the rooms on my basement into a little gym and I work out a little bit. Maybe I do get out and take the dogs for a walk. But emotionally, maybe I'm feeling drained. Maybe mentally, I'm a little bit in that fog due to this pandemic fatigue that we're all experiencing. Or even spiritually, how am I, I'm, am, am I sensing that, and not from a religious standpoint necessarily, Meredith, but more of a, of a sense of understanding the greater aspect of things. Where do I fit into this? Is this a futile situation? What is it that I'm feeling from this? Where can I reach to to get that strength, that belief to keep moving forward? So all of these factors will help. That awareness can be driven by the reader, for example, of our book, or as a leader, ask those questions of your people. This is where another paradox can come into play. So for example, you and I now are participating in our conversation. We are using technology, 
to feel like we're practically in the same room. I'm talking to you as if you're sitting next to me. I can see you right there in real time. So I'm embracing the higher level of technology that's available right now. But at the same time, I also have to embrace higher human touch because I no longer have that opportunity to have that five-minute conversation with you as we leave the meeting room to the break room or to pop my head into your office and say, hey, Meredith, how are you doing? I have to purposefully now set that up as a leader. I have to find those moments. I have to use the technology to really apply that personal touch to my direct reports. And I really have to set, a, set, it, set it up and reach out to you and say, Meredith, how are you really doing? No, no, no. Don't tell me, okay. Don't tell me you're fine. What's going on? Let's talk about that and really have that ability to connect with my people, with my team, and reach out to them. You know, I worked on a project more than 20 years ago now, and that project involved remote agents in a call center. And at the time, the numbers, the financial numbers for the business made sense. What was missing at the time were two important factors. The one was technology, which today we have in abundance. The second one was trust from management. And much of that trust, now we've debunked that myth because over this past year, companies didn't have a choice. They dispersed their workforce and in order to keep their doors open, they had to trust people. And what people proved is that they're more than capable of operating when you empower them and you help them set things up. So we have now case studies upon case studies and examples in abundance of how we can overcome those challenges now to be able to work this way. But again, high tech, high touch, paradox that we can synthesize. And now I can lead my team, whether it's in person, work from home, or a hybrid combination of those. Well, and thinking about that whole piece of awareness, what I thought of too, as you were talking, is just noticing, you know, so that when you say you ask someone, how are you doing? You've picked up on maybe some body language or that you've noticed even across the uh, cameras mm -hmm. uh, or tone of voice or, or silence or something that caused you to ask that question but if you're not paying attention, you won't have that level of awareness that's going to guide you to even ask those questions. Correct. But when you think about it at the heart of it, if I'm not an attentive leader, if I'm not a leader that pays attention, it doesn't really matter where you are. If you're sitting next to me, if I'm distracted by my, my email, my computer, my phone, and I'm looking elsewhere and I'm not paying attention, it doesn't really matter where you are. Mm -hmm. It requires us to engage that higher human touch. And that will serve us well, whether we're in the office or not. Mm -hmm. Good point. So let's go on to key number three. Well, key number three is flexibility. And this is one that I think is one of the more powerful ones and the ones that I have very practical ability. Well, when we look at flexibility, we've had to adapt. Like you said, we found ourselves in a situation where now I may be sitting at the kitchen table next to my daughter, for example, who now is a freshman in college, but at the time she was a senior. My wife was doing her job remotely across the table, and the three of us are looking around at each other, and I'm kind of smiling and chuckling to myself because we've each got our laptops out, and we're pounding on them like we're a bunch of Eastern European hackers going at it at our own pace, and it's a crazy environment, but you're looking at it, and you're saying, okay, I've, I've had to flex and adapt a little bit. You know, we found ways to work around things, whether it's my 
am part of a team and I say, you know what, Meredith, I know that you can work effectively from this hour to this hour. I can work effectively from this hour to this hour. If we don't have to be in the same room at the same time, whether it's a virtual room or a real one, why don't you do your work? I will pick it up and I will carry that proverbial ball down the field a little bit further. And as we continue to work together, we adjust. Now, as a leader, what that means for you is it requires you to really step up to the plate. There is no room for lazy management at this point with flexibility. What that means is that now I have to look and reevaluate how I measure success with my team. I need to go back and I need to look at the things that really matter. What are those core things that we still need to be doing that are consistent with our mission, vision, values, our strategic priorities that we definitely have to continue to execute on? And beyond that, I can't look at you, Meredith, now and say, you know what? I expect you to be at your desk at this time and finish up at this time. That doesn't work anymore. I have to display greater flexibility and evaluate your performance based on the results, based on what I expect you to do. That's a whole different way of looking at leadership and management from that piece. And many leaders are not equipped to handle that. It forces them to go back and look at the very jobs that they have under them and look at them and say, what really needs to get done here? What is essential? What is not? What do we need to be able to continue to perform? What can we put on hold? All of these things require us to be much more flexible as leaders in how we're adapting it. And the things that we focus on during these times, the things that gain our attention and we put emphasis on and we measure are the things that we're going to get returns on. Mm -hmm. Positive stuff, get the best of them. Yeah, that's such an important point. And I was, again, as I was listening to you, I was thinking of some of the managers who tend to uh, be more comfortable with structure. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that they necessarily micromanage, but that wanting to, to know in more detail what's what's going on. And what is some advice or, or guidance you might provide to leaders who lean in that direction? I can see where some that tend to be more hands-off, it's easier for them to have the kind of flexibility you're describing. But for those that like structure for themselves and for others, what's one thing they might do to help shift a little bit more towards that flexibility? Well, there's a lot to unpack in that question. Um, starting with the simple fact that I know a lot of managers that unfortunately get their worth by how much they micromanage people. They get the validation. They feel like they're doing their job when they're in their team's business all the time. Mm. Um, Again, that may require us to have a little bit more of a flexible style. It requires us to look at things situationally and say, okay, Meredith is an experienced operator. She's been working on my team. She knows what to do. What do I need to provide for her so she can be effective? Well, maybe I just simply need to point her in the right direction, give her the parameters of her assignment and cut her loose and have her check in with me when she's done. Maybe I have a relatively new person on my team that's still going through this process. Maybe I need, there I need to spend a little bit more time. Maybe I need to apply the structure, a checklist, um, a more frequent check-in with that person to make sure that they have what they need in order to be successful and effective in what they're doing. Either way, even with that la the first example where I have an experienced operator, abdication is not the same as delegation. So you look at that and you say, okay, just because I have an experienced person I can't disengage with them. I can't leave them alone entirely. 
they still need something for me. Gallup did a study in 2020, and they did three checkpoints on employee engagement. And you and I know how valuable that information is to us as leaders and people that are involved with leadership development. What they found is early on in April and May, in the first months following the, the Great Pause, engagement was at an all-time high of 38%. That was 38% of employees were showing, admitting to be uh, highly engaged in their work. Two reasons for that. One is they wanted to show that they still had value. They were concerned for their work, that they were going to be let go. Mm. The second one was for their own sanity, because when you don't have anything else to do, you put that time towards your work. Now, contrast that with late October into November towards the end of the year, where it dropped down to 31%. That's a seven percentage point jump downwards drop if you will. Um, what that shows is that over that same period of time between April, May, and then October, November, for leaders that did not engage, did not apply the leadership paradox to their people, didn't stay connected effectively with their dispersed workforce, their workforce disengaged. They felt lost. They felt adrift. They felt disconnected from their team and from the operation. This is the worst nightmare that a business owner or a senior leader can have. Losing contact with their people and feeling like my people are disengaged and feeling like that. There are remedies to this. Preparing your leaders and being able to show them how to embrace this paradox, how to update their playbook and their leadership skills to really engage their workforce where they need them is key. And that's a big part of that. Well, and that goes into your fourth key, right? Uh, preparation. Correct. So preparation, this is a, a, a lot of times an overlooked step. But preparation, if I'm living in South Florida, if I'm not prepared for hurricanes, whose fault is that? You look at it and you say, okay, this isn't, I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how big it's going to be, but I know it's going to happen because it is what's happening here. These are the things that happen. So I need to be prepared. Same in business. We don't always know what's going to happen, but we know something's going to happen. Business continuity planning. We all have them at times, but like Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get smacked in the face. The question is how adaptable is your plan and how much are you updating that and preparing against that? Are you mitigating the risks that you're dealing with? We've had a year behind us. How many companies, how many leaders have actually gone to the effort of learning from that year, updating their risk mitigation plans, looking at that and saying, okay, we have to have contingencies for this. If something like this happens again, can we apply the best of what we learned to modify our business now? Do we have to adapt things in a different way? We look at that. Here's another paradox. We have to source local while thinking globally from a data standpoint. There, what was able to, to go across borders easily was information. All of our systems and data was able to, trans, to, to go beyond our boundaries. People, goods were not. So we need to adapt our business in such a way that at any given time, I have contingencies locally for what I need while understanding that I can tap into other things internationally that can cross borders. Are you updating your plan accordingly? That's the preparation piece. Mm -hmm. And you know, <clears throat> too often, whether you are a solopreneur or running a big company, too often we get caught up in the doing of things mm -hmm. 
and not the slowing down, as you're saying, to reflect on what do we need to modify here in order to prepare for the future. I think that's such a critical step that no matter what size your company, you need to build in time for that. Um, Looking at number five, I'm, I'm fascinated by initiative and what's required there, because I know thinking about, you know, being an employer ourselves, finding someone that looks for what needs to be done and does it without having to be asked is huge. So talk a little bit about how you address that topic and what you recommend to help develop that in others or, or see it more regularly in yeah. folks in a company? Well, let's think about it first and foremost in, in the immediacy of ourselves. Anytime we're in a difficult situation, a time of upheaval, whether it be a crisis like a pandemic or a personal crisis, maybe I lost a job, maybe I lost a loved one. These crises don't have to be global. They can be very personal, but it feels like a big deal to me, right? Anytime I'm able to start taking some control over my environment, to start taking action, even the smallest action, I feel like I'm regaining some control over my life. When we are in times of turmoil, what we crave is some semblance of understanding what's up, what's down. We, we're not comfortable in that kind of in-between stage, especially for this prolonged time. Let me think about it. We are now over a year in this crisis. Normally, when we deal with, with crises, okay, it's a hurricane, like we mentioned. It's a day, it's two days, it's a week. Even a big global situation like a, like a war, it might trail on, but at some point it's over and we start the recovery piece. Now we haven't finished the crisis to even begin the recovery. That's part of what's driving us uh, into the state of mind that we're in right now. But along the way, I look at that and I say, what can I take control over? Can I take control over setting my hours that I'm going to work? Can I take control of going outside and taking a walk? Mm. Can I take control of spending time with my loved ones? As a business owner, what you're looking for now as a leader is you're looking for leaders in all levels of your organization. If you've done your job, your preparation well, you've developed those leaders along the way. Now they're stepping in and individually or with others, they're trying to take action because the minute they start taking action, now they're regaining control of their operation and how things are working. And that's what we're, we're asking to do. We don't need more order takers. We need more order makers. We need people that are going to step up at any given time and look around and have that personal accountability, that ownership, that is priceless to an owner, to a business owner. That is priceless right. to a senior leader. That's attitude that you cannot always train for. That's what you hire for. Mm -hmm. Such an important point. And I think looking at it for my listeners individually, you know, thinking about what's, what's my part in this? What, what can I do to make a difference, even if it's a small thing initially? Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yep. your, your last two, I especially love. So let's get into those um, for a couple minutes. <laughs> Number six is positive attitude. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about positive attitude. Um, people assume that when we're talking about positive attitude, we're talking about sunshine and rainbows and everything's good and wonderful, even in the midst of a crisis, we are in total denial that anything could be going wrong. That's not reality. 
that's just not that's just not the reality. Most of the time, the people that struggle with dealing with change, especially change to the magnitude of a crisis, are the ones that have unrealistic expectations about when it's going to be over or the impact of things. These are the areas now that we need to look at and say, realistically, what can we expect of this? There is a big difference between danger and fear. Danger is very real. When we look at danger, we need to account for that. We need to prepare. We need to act on that danger. Fear, on the other hand, is an emotional response to a situation. And it's not the best guide for us when we're making decisions, when I'm approaching things. It's important to understand that many of us may react, for example, as victims to a sudden change. And we feel like the world is conspiring against us. Um, I may react as a critic and all of a sudden I'm aggressively going out and saying, well, this stinks or that's horrible. What a terrible idea. That's never going to work. I'm offering nothing but negative critique because I'm lashing out from that. Mm -hmm. Or I may be like a deer in the headlights caught in that freeze mode where I'm a bystander and I'm just waiting terrified on the sidelines and saying, well, I'm just going to wait till Meredith tips her toe into this and see how she responds, whether it's to take action or to take the vaccine or do something else. Now, all of a sudden, I'm waiting on the sidelines because I'm terrified to move. These reactions typically correlate to our fight, flight, and freeze modes that we have in our psyche, the way we react to change and danger. Um, but all three of those are lacking in positive outcomes. They're not a good get. Way we invite people through the book and through our coaching is to become navigators. Navigators act on that. They look at the situation and they are able to assess how they feel, how others feel, what this change is about. And even though this might be new to me, a new reality, I'm basing a lot of my decisions on sound best practices and my experience of the past to start moving forward or from input from people that I trust or just the collective, let's do something positive. Mm -hmm. And we embrace that and we start talking. But the attitude that we take towards that is one that's really, really in line with that concept of a navigator because I want to take positive action. What I focus on, again, is what I'm going to get. If I focus on the horrible things that are happening, then that's what I'm going to be getting. That's the attitude that I'm going to have. And that's what I'm going to be feeling. But let's face it, this is not the first crisis that we've dealt with. It's not going to be the last. 2008, most of us were around in business back then. Mm -hmm. We experienced what that was like, and we thought it was the worst thing since the Depression, and it was. But you know what? Uber, Airbnb are two major businesses that came out of that downturn. So there is a silver lining. In many ways, most senior leaders, most CEOs that I work with, end up manufacturing crises to get their people moving. Now we have some built in that we can actually make changes for the better, mm -hmm. but it requires us to embrace that positive attitude. Great point. All right. So wrapping up the seven, the last one being kindness. Mm. Um, I'm just curious because for me, that's so important. You know, one of my affirmations every day is, I am loving kindness everywhere to everyone. And that grounds me in, you know, going back to your positive attitude. How am I going to approach a particular situation? I'd like to see what, what your perspective is on kindness relative to the other six and as it relates to being in a crisis. Because sometimes it's hard to be kind when you're 
in the throes of a challenging situation. Absolutely. Well, part of the reason why we put kindness at the end is not because it's the least important, but it because it's the culmination of the journey. We start the journey with self-care, which is what? Kindness to ourselves. You can't, I wrote an article a while back that you can't pour from an empty cup. And that concept is important for us to understand because it's very hard for us to give to others if we don't have anything to give. Mm-hmm. And in the time of crisis, many of us struggle. I mean, we ask the question, you know, you expect me to take care of other people when I'm, I'm just struggling to make through myself. Well, it's important to understand that the minute you get out of yourself, you get out of that victim mode, that critic mode, and you start reaching out to other people, you get beyond that bystander mode. The best way for me to feel good about myself is to reach out and help somebody in need. I can guarantee you that 99.9% of the people that are listening to our conversation right now are better off than the majority of people out there. So it's important to understand that we have more capacity than we realize in that piece. Rather than fighting over toilet paper like we were doing, we need to reach out to our neighbors and say, how are you doing? Uh, on a personal level, because that allows us then to build that sense of community, to get beyond that isolation that we have. Again, being mindful of the dangers that exist. But now let's let's pull that back out to the business owner, to the senior leader that's looking to, at, at, at our conversation and saying, you kidding me, kindness? I'm a business person. Well, let me remind them that part of the reason why we are in business is because we are seeking to serve others. And those others might be our employees, they might be our customers, they might be the communities. Even if you are a for-profit business, at the end of the day, you are still dependent on all of those stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So what a wonderful time right now and a smart time from a business standpoint to reach out and say, I have a surplus of X, Y, and Z that's just sitting on my shelves or in my head. What can I do to help my employees? Whether that's becoming a leader that embraces the paradox to help my my employees through this difficult time, whether that's reaching out to my customers and saying, you know what, let's offer some support during this time, whether it's to my community, through my, maybe my business foundation or other resources that I have. Now is the time for us to display that kindness and care for others, because now is the time where it will register with a lot of people. We have very strong memories during times of crises, and people remember. And for those companies that have reached out and done the right thing for their employees, for their customers, for their communities, they will be remembered in a very positive light as we come out of this great pause. The same way that other companies that didn't embrace that, that shut things down, that really isolated, let people go all of a sudden to cut costs. Those companies will also be remembered, but not for the reasons that they want to be remembered. Mm -hmm. And the pendulum swings. Last January, February of 2020, we started off the year in a very positive um, business mode, if you will. The atmosphere was very different. People very optimistic about the year going into the 2020. We were talking about the war for talent because we we didn't know where we would find qualified people. There weren't enough of them around. Everybody that I talked to was complaining about that. Those same people forgot during this time and let a lot of good people, good talent go. I've been coaching my clients to not only understand where their talent is and really have a point of reference. Are there some people that they could probably let go of because 
they're not responding to the coaching. They're not responding to the expectations that have been put forward to them. Yes, but they have a clear understanding and an estimate of where their, their talent is, who's performing and who isn't. Mm-hmm. I've encouraged them to go out and top level their talent. Now's the time to go out and find that talented individual that just got let go and yeah. snatch that talent up because you will be that far, far ahead when the, when the doors open up again. Mm-hmm. That's what smart leaders do right now. They look at this as an opportunity, just like an investor does. They look at a down market as an opportunity to invest in what they know will become a very viable bet for them. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, I know we're getting close on time, Con, so I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about how you apply these same keys to your coaching with these soccer players, because I know you've had a profound impact on the lives of these young women mm-hmm. that you've had the opportunity to coach. So talk about how you incorporate these skills, because I think it'll help listeners expand their thinking about where in their lives, at home, at work, in the community, can they apply these uh, keys that we've just been talking about? Thank you. And, and that's a great opportunity for me to kind of share some of those thoughts because, you know, a lot of times I go under the moniker, under the name Coach Con, And it's not just because I coach senior executives. It's because I coach with kids. It's my way of giving back. Um, too many times I've encountered senior leaders that had they had the opportunities to learn some of these lessons at a younger age, they will be so much further along in their career. So having the opportunity to work with young people, young student athletes, um, even kids that are in, in inner city situations where they're just, they're just trying to stay out of trouble, but being able to, to work with kids and share with them stories, insights, teaching them life skills, leadership skills that will serve them well beyond their time on the, on the soccer pitch is important to me. Now, the way that I go about that is I take a lot of the concepts that apply, whether it's through the change leadership pieces, the road to resilience from the book, or even my broader aspect of being involved with organizational development with performance improvement. When we do team building, whether it's an executive team, a business team, or a soccer team, we work with the kids, what do we need to do? We need to make sure that, for example, we have a clear understanding of our vision, of what we want to accomplish, of what each person's role is in that. How do those How does that team goal tie to my personal goal? How can I marry those things up together? How can I stay flexible within the team to embrace different roles as I learn with this? How does my attitude dictate how I approach the game? All of these pieces, the self-care, making sure that I'm training appropriately, I'm eating appropriately, I'm doing those things. Even at these young ages, I've worked with elite athletes that are part of our state's Olympic development program. And these kids are absolutely amazing. All of the kids that I work with, whether they're the kids that are just recreationally trying to find their way or have higher aspirations, they are all amazing. If we invest these principles and show them how to self-advocate, how to set goals, how to creatively visualize what they want, how to work hard for those things, how to be accountable to themselves and each other on on these aspects of things, we're constantly applying those. But we separate the two. Because, and this is an important thing that I want to kind of illustrate for our listeners. When we approach our work or our hobbies or our giving with a growth mindset, with an opportunity for us to learn, and we encourage others to do the same, we learn how to, for example, distinguish between the learning zone and the performance zone. 
This is an interesting concept because during the week when I work with the kids, we are in the learning zone. This is the time when I push them and I teach new concepts and they make mistakes and I encourage them to push the boundaries and make those mistakes and learn from those mistakes. We learn in the learning zone where mistakes are forgiven. But when we get to the performance zone, when we're on the game on the weekend or in a tournament, we perform at a higher level and the expectations shift, the mindset shifts into a performance mindset. And then we're operating very differently. We're putting into practice the things that we work so hard on during the period of time. It's the same way that you don't want to yell at that customer service person that's interacting with your customer in front of the customer. That's not the learning zone. That's the performance zone. You do the learning behind the scenes where you have the opportunity to pull people out, to do, teach them, to mentor them, to encourage them, to coach them. So when they get into that real life situation, they're able to perform. When I work with executives, for example, and then they have to go out and do a presentation to their industry, to their boards, or wherever the case might be, now they're in ready to perform. Why? Because we've worked through the learning beforehand. Mm -hmm. These are all concepts that we can take, Meredith, and apply to the kids and to our business. But the beautiful thing about it is I take a lot of those stories from the kids back to my executives. And I share a lot of them, the application of those same concepts. And that yeah. helps me break down those boundaries. I think I shared with you offline a, a, a quick story. May I interject oh, a little bit? Yes, yes. I mean, here's a perfect example. I was dealing with a senior leader, CEO of his company. And he was very frustrated with his senior team and with his people because he felt that he put out an order to them. He asked them to do this, and they didn't respond the way he expected them to do it. He communicated a direct order to them, and they didn't respond. And he was very frustrated about that. He thought it was an affront to him. So I pulled it back and I said, you know, when I work with the kids, even at the youngest ages, and I asked them, what makes a good pass of the ball? They say, coach, a good pass is when I can get the ball to my teammate, and he or she can take the ball and do something with it. They receive it the way they need to receive it. I said, take that example to the situation we have now. You provided an order. You basically kicked the ball down the field. You didn't look if there was anybody there to receive it, what they were going to do with it. Did they get it in a way that they could do something and execute what you wanted them to do? Communication is a team sport. It requires both sides of the equation to understand that. And when we had that discussion, all of a sudden the eyes lit up. It's like, wow, I didn't realize that. I said, yeah, it's as simple as that. You made a pass. You didn't even look if anybody was there. And all of a sudden we're able now to explore that concept. But that's the discovery piece. It's asking those questions and breaking it down to its simplest form. In Greece, we say, Meredith, if you want to hear the truth, you ask a child or a crazy person. So in this case here, when we go to the kids, they give us the truth. It's unfiltered. And if we can take those truths and apply them in our lives, we'll be a lot smarter about things. Oh, that's great. I love that distinction you made between learning and performance. I think that's so critical. And there's a time for giving feedback, as you said, and a time for letting the person complete whatever that action is. And then later, when you are in a different scenario, you're able to assist with them learning more. I think that's a very powerful concept and a great note to end on, 
Khan, you've shared so much wisdom and insights from your book and from your life, both coaching with the kids and with the executives. Let people know how they can pick up a copy of your book, connect with you, and learn more about your services. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity, Meredith. The easiest way is the book is available at all major booksellers right now, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and the others. Um, they can visit my website, freshbizwithazsolutions.com. They can get a lot of information and tools and additional insights from the website. Or I invite them to correct, connect directly with me through LinkedIn under Coach Khan with the K. I spell it with a K because it's hard to get people to trust you when you spell it with a C. So I figured that would be better. <laughs> Good point. And that book, again, is Seven Keys to Navigating a Crisis. And you don't have to be in the middle of a crisis to really get benefit from those seven keys. Khan, thank you so much for being my guest today. I love the work you're doing in the world of business and the world of the soccer field. You're making such an important difference in the lives of these leaders, the people who are affected by them, and also the kids on the soccer field. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you for the opportunity to share the stories. Thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation with you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now, head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.